Good morning. I'm Erica Allen. I'm one of the pastors here at Horizon Church, and it is so good to see each and every one of you here this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. Um, I just want to start with a really quick announcement. Um, Chris and I met about 15 years ago in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and the person who introduced us, his name is Zach Adrian, he actually went to high school here at Plant High School, he is getting married next week, um, and he has asked Chris and I to officiate his wedding. Um, there is a little bit of, of stuff going on in his life. His fiance has been diagnosed with leukemia, and so um, the wedding was moved from November up to September, and Chris and I are flying in next week to officiate his wedding, and it is a great honor for us to do that. So we thank you as a church that you will gather here next Sunday anyway, and that you'll let us be a pastor and a friend next week to the person who uh, introduced us to each other. So thank you for that. I have some good news for you guys, though. Um, our friend and mentor, Reverend Alex Shanks, he's the assistant to the bishop. So we're a United Methodist Church, and this guy sort of oversees all things for the United Methodist Church. His name is Alex Shanks. He is going to be here next Sunday, and you are not going to want to miss what it is he's going to say. He has a heart for Jesus like I have never seen before. He's the reason Chris and I are in Florida. He has supported and mentored and loved us, and he fought for our church to get a $5 million grant to be able to purchase the bowling alley that we are renovating so that more people will know about the goodness and grace and light of God um, in, that, in the Panorama bowling alley, which will be done sometime in the future. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> We're just going to talk about next week, right? One day at a time, one Sunday at a time. And next week, you are not going to want to miss worship with Alex Shanks. Um, we are in the middle of a message series called The Donut Effect. If, do you know what a donut is? Everybody raise your hand if you know what a donut is. Okay, you know what a donut is. It is a, you know, a pastry that's hollowed out, deep fried, covered in a sugary glaze. Mm. Uh, I hope y'all ate breakfast this morning before church. Um, it is so, so, so good. But the donut effect is something that um, people have been talking about a lot recently, actually. It is that um, if you imagine a city like as a circle, in the center of the circle is, um, you know, the downtown city center area. And over the past, you know, few decades, what we've began to recognize is that our resources in our community are being um, pushed sort of outside of the city center and to the edges. Does that make sense? So things are being moved away from the center to the edges. There was actually just an article in the Wall Street Journal about this. Um, I cannot handle things happening outside while I'm talking. <laughs> I, sorry, I'm gonna get back. You know, um, th this is the donut effect in full effect. Uh, this is where I'm supposed to be focused, but my energy and focus goes to other places. And we do this in our lives, right? It's not just what the world is doing right now, how our stuff moves away from the, the center, it moves to the edge of things. We do this in our lives. We experience the donut effect in our lives. The things that should hold steady in the center of our lives really quickly start to get moved what? To the edge of our lives. And we, then we live our lives like a donut, right? 
we look really good on the outside. People want to spend some time with us because we've been deep fried and, and glazed in sugar, but we're hollow in the middle and we have no sort of central thing that we are anchored to. So this morning we are going to talk about um, what happens when we feel hollowed out in the center. If this morning you are here and you don't have a good clear idea of what your purpose is, you've lost connection with your faith, your, your joy feels a little empty on the center. Maybe even your community life or your friendships feel a bit hollowed out right now. This message series is for you because it's how we get back to the central things that God has for us in our lives. So um, I don't know if you all know this, but if you went on a steady diet of donuts, it would not be good for you. Did y'all know this? Um, if you eat too many donuts, it is a proven fact that your arteries will begin to harden. So the things that get blood to and from your heart um, to the rest of your body, those things would fill, will fill up with plaque, um, which is not good on your teeth or in your heart. And... Um, I mean, donuts will just destroy you guys if you keep eating them. But uh, it hardens your arteries, and then it, it restricts blood and oxygen, life, the life-giving things from getting to the places in your body where you need it. This is exactly what happens to us when we've moved our central focus away from what it needs to be focused on, and we are spending all our time in the peripheries or the edges of our lives. We have no good, clear idea. And we begin to lose uh, connection with the energy and breath of life. We begin to, 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 get, to lose focus of what it is that matters. The exact same thing that happens to our bodies when we physically eat too many donuts happens to us when we've lost sense of our real identity or core of who we are. We begin to lose connection to the things that matter. In fact, it is proven, it is proven that if you don't have community and a, a strong faith and those kinds of things, if you don't have these really clear identity markers in your life, you are probably struggling with all of the things that happen on the periphery. You are struggling with the ability to, to, to connect to life. I'm preaching this sermon this morning because I have lived this way of my life for too long. Anybody ever woke up in the morning and you're like, oh, I feel empty on the inside. I can't figure out what it is that is my purpose. My, I've lost connection with my faith. I feel like I've been eating way too many donuts and I'm hollowed out on the center. I want to connect with life again. This morning we are going to talk about what God offered to a man named Jude that he offered to the world. The first thing that I'm going to tell you is this book of Jude is called an apocalyptic eschatology. If you know what that word is, like, what are you doing <laughs> here? Apocalyptic eschatology is what this, this book has. And I, I would usually, like, not tell you anything about, like, that kind of stuff when we're talking about this. But I think it's important that we understand what apocalyptic eschatology is this morning. So an apocalypse, most of us think that means, oh, the world is ending, like, you know, Armageddon kind of thing. When you hear that word, is that what y'all think? No, yes, yes. Okay, apocalypse, like, world is ending. But in the Bible, the apocalypse is when someone has had a vision of how their life really is, how the world really is, and where we're headed, and it changes everything. It is this absolutely life-changing moment when they catch a glimpse 
of the future of what it is God wants us to do. Jude, this man, has this apocalyptic encounter with God. God gives him a vision of what the future is going to look like if they don't change, if the people around him don't change, if the church doesn't start being the church God has called it to be. And it changes his life completely. So he writes this letter to a church, and it is, it is based on this encounter, this transcendent encounter he has with God that changes the way he, he sees life and does life and experiences life. Some of you in this room have had that kind of apocalyptic encounter with God. It might be why you're here. You don't have the hope or the light on the other side of your apocalyptic encounter, but everything's fallen apart, and the way you are currently looking at the world no longer works. That is apocalypse. And eschatology means what we believe about the end. Jude's encounter with God. Jude's clear revelation of how things aren't working in this hollowed-out life that people are living changes him so much that he begins to think about what the end might actually look like. And this book ends with hope. His encounter with the present, his, his recognition that things are hollowed out and empty and doesn't make any sense, and everything's moving to the periphery and things are moving as far away from the center of things as, as possible, his encounter with that changes what he believes about the end of all things, and he has hope. Because before I say anything, I want you to know something. He serves a Jesus who died on a cross and raised again above all of the things that said they would end our lives in this world and all that stuff. Jesus defeated all of that and gave us hope. His encounter with the transcendent God, that things need to change where they are and how it is right now, changed the way he began to believe about the ends. He had hope, and he believed that the world would look better than it does right now. That's what this book is about, and he tells us how to do it. He believed that there was a day where all things would indeed be made new. What are you looking at right now that you're sick and tired of dealing with every day, and it is old, it is way too old? Jude believes in the end all things will be made new, and he tells you how to get there now, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Jude, it's a whole chapter. It's like this long. That's it um, in the Bible. It's right before Revelation, more apocalyptic stuff. We're not going to talk about that probably ever. <laughs> it is a Bible study, not a 15-minute sermon. Um, anyway, Jude chapter 1. Jude is a servant of Jesus Christ, and he's a brother of James. Just remember that because I'm going to come back to it in just a minute, okay? Brother of James. To those who have been called, he's writing to y'all, okay? To you all who've been called, who are loved in God the Father, and you are kept for Jesus Christ. You are kept in this victory that we've already won. We can sing it as well with our soul because we believe that is the truth in the end, okay? God is writing this to you. Mercy, compassion, and forgiveness, and love to those who don't deserve it. Mercy is yours right now. What is it you're holding on to? Give it to Jesus right now. Give it to Jesus. Peace. Let's all take a good deep breath. God's spirit is in this room and his peace is here. Mercy. Peace and love be yours in abundance. These words weren't just written for people 2,000 years ago. These words were written for you. Mercy. Peace. Love, 
be yours in abundance. Dear friends, he says, I was eager to write to you about the salvation we shared. I wanted to talk about the central thing that the church was created for, to celebrate and offer the salvation and redemption and wholeness of Jesus Christ to the world. That's what I wanted to talk about. I was eager to write about this. I felt compelled, though, right, to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Let me paraphrase this for you. That should be the central thing, but y'all worried about everything else. This morning, I'm here to tell you, mercy, peace, and love is yours, and it is yours in abundance. And Jude is writing to us still in this moment, and it is so we can get back to the central things that we need to be worried about in the church. And too many of us in this room are worried about all the other things in the world that don't matter. And this is why, this is why. Certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. So y'all are thinking about all the people, right? All the people that are in among you. Maybe the people who are pushing you away from the center. My boss is terrible and he's making me lose my mind. And so I'm living on the edge of the world. I've got all these issues in my life and that's why I'm living. That's what you're, those are the things Jude is talking about. They've secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly. They pervert the grace of our God. They make you forget about the goodness and love of our God. And that you live a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. These things have hollowed you out and focused you on everything else. You're no longer at the center. You are driving towards the edges and it is exhausting and empty life that you live. These ungodly people or ungodly things pollute their own bodies. So we can look at these things. We look at them on Instagram. We know like this isn't going to work for me, right? We know this doesn't offer us life or hope or mercy or grace or love in abundance. We know that, but what do we do? Keep scrolling, right? What do we do? We keep showing up to the things where, where we're not experiencing life or goodness. We keep doing the things, even though we know this is what it looks like, right? These people, they reject authority. They heap abuse on celestial beings. They're saying awful things about what we believe. These people slander whatever they don't understand. And the very things that they do understand by instinct, just like irrational animals do, will destroy them. Do y'all hear this? If we keep focusing on those things, it will destroy you. There's a reason you feel hollowed out in the middle. The donut hole has long been cut out and discarded. Somebody else is buying it from Publix right now. And you just want your purpose and your center back in your life. That's what these things do. These people, these things are blemishes at your love feast. You want to come to worship, but you never make it here because you got everything else to do. They eat with you. They eat with you without the slightest qualm. They don't even care. These things in your life will push you far away. They're like shepherds who feed only themselves. Shepherds who feed only themselves die and wither away because they don't have any money. They don't have, their job is literally to feed us, feed people. They are clouds without rain. Who likes a Thursday afternoon thunderstorm that just like brews for hours above your house? That's what these things in your life are. They are like dark clouds without out rain blown along by the wind. They're like autumn trees. We know nothing about this here, but we're going to talk about it anyway. They're like autumn trees without fruit and uprooted twice 
dead. That's what these things do in your life. Y'all hear? They suck the life out of you. There's no other way to say it. What are those things in your life? What are those things in your life right now? They are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame. They tell you you're not good enough and you never will be. They're like wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. It is dark. It is painful. It is ugly. It is awful. What is that thing that has ripped out your center in your life? These people will divide you. They follow natural instincts and they don't have the spirit. My question to you this morning is really simple. I don't have to tell you what these things are or give you three points about them. You know, as soon as I read this, what the thing is in your life that has hollowed you out just like a donut and is sending you far away to the edges of your life. God has revealed to you this morning what that thing is. What do we do about it? What do we do about it? I wish that I had some three-point sermon for this, but I'm going to tell you what we do. Read this. This next one here. Give praise to God. When you are walking through hollowed out and empty in your life, it is really hard to look around and find anything you're thankful for. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're like, thanks, Erica, for telling me that. I have nothing to be thankful for. Jude didn't ask us or invite us to do this. Jude told us. If you want to get back to the central things in your life, give praise to God because that God is able to keep you from stumbling. That God is able to protect you from the things that will hollow out the center of your life and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy. For those of you walking around hunched over, looking at the ground, not sure what the future looks like, living with absolutely no joy and desperation and hopelessness, God has something else for you. God has something else for you. If you're looking around and you're like, Erica, you don't understand. I have nothing to be thankful for. I can't keep going on like this. Jude says there's something. There's something to be thankful for and give praise to that God, to the only God, our Savior, who saves us from a hollowed out life and all the things that eat the center of us out. Be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Those things that think, that thing that you had in your head that you think is, is the power over your life, it's not because Jesus Christ, our Lord, has defeated it already before ages now and forevermore. In your seats, you sat down on um, something, and you have one. I, I was a teacher before I was a pastor, and you have one assignment this week. Every morning and every night, I want you to write down three things you can give praise to God for. This is your sheet. If I find these I'll trail along out to the parking lot and stuff. I'm going to be mad at y'all. <laughs> um, take your homework sheet home and fill it out. But every morning when you wake up, you fix your cup of coffee, set it down beside your coffee pot, write down three things that you can give praise to God for. I'm not asking you to look for a silver lining in the middle of a cancer diagnosis. I'm not asking you to find a silver lining in the middle of the pain and trial that you are wa walking through. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to give power and majesty and glory to the God who's defeated all things and the God who Jude gave his life to telling you in the end it is actually going to be well. 
your soul will actually be well. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying cancer is ugly and awful and broken and evil, but it is not more powerful than the God who's given you something, something to give praise for. I'm not saying that addiction isn't painful and hard to watch somebody walk through. I'm saying I know the God who in the end will make us all well. And if we don't live our lives like that right now, everybody around us will experience a hollowed out life. It is your job. It is your job as a follower of Jesus to begin to open your eyes to these things. And when you write them down and when you claim them, the other things that are hollowing out your life will lose power. Do you hear me? They'll lose power. And the power goes to the one who wants to create life and, and, and a good center. Last week I told you a cinnamon roll, right? Uh, uh, tightly wound in the center. You understand and you're offering gooey goodness to the world. Those are not good for your diet long term any, either. But uh, <laughs> it, it's good to think about, right? But every morning when you wake up, I want you to think about three things you can give praise to God for and write them down. In the evening, three things before you go to sleep at night, three things you can give thanks to God for because those things that God has given you, the grace and power and mercy of God will have more power than the things that drive you to the edge of your life. I don't tell you this just because I don't have anything else to do besides assign you some homework assignments. I am asking you to do this because I have watched a woman in our church not find the silver lining, but be thankful for what it is God has given her. And she has walked through the darkest storms, the hardest things I could ever imagine. Her brother died of an overdose about six months ago. And do you know what she did every morning when she got up? She gave thanks for the small group who called her. She gave thanks for the people who showed up at her brother's funeral from our church. She gave thanks for the youth pastor who stood up at his sermon and at his funeral and preached a sermon about what good things he offered to the world. She figured out how to give praise to God for something in the midst of the darkest, ugliest, most awful and broken thing ever. Because in the end, Surely something about this has to be well. And now y'all know what she's going to do this afternoon? She's going to sit at my house with the youth of this church and she's going to watch movies and make popcorn sundaes and play board games with them because she wants to make sure that the teenagers in our church have a good, strong core and center of their, of their, of their lives. That addiction and those kinds of things will not have the last word in their lives. And she's going to work in, in this church, for those of you sitting in these chairs, to shine light and ignite change. We live in a donut world, y'all. We live in a donut world, but we serve a God who wants us to be whole and good. And it is worth it. I'm not asking you, listen, I'm not asking you to find a silver lining in the midst of your hard situation. What I'm asking you to do is find some way that you can praise God in the midst of the storm. I told y'all to um, remember that Jude was James' brother, right? So just a little bit before I took my paper out, my notes. It's going to take me a minute to find James. Y'all just bear with me. I actually am a pastor and know where James is. But Jude is a... Okay, I can't. I'm going to tell you what James says in chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, Jude and James are brothers, right? And James writes a letter to a church, and this is what he says. In the midst of trials and temptations, find a way to give thanks to God. They were brothers. I don't know what they walked through. 
I don't know if their mom experienced something, if, if their wives experienced I have no idea what it was these brothers walked through, but both of them point us to the same thing. In the midst of hard and awful and terrible things that force us to lose sight of the things that really matter, give thanks. Have gratitude. Because, James says, it produces perseverance. You want to know what the opposite of an empty, hollowed-out life is? It's a life that's able to persevere for the right things. It's a life that is able to persevere for the right things. Filling this sheet out probably won't change your life. But filling this sheet out and connecting with the God who offers you something to give Him praise about, who's more powerful than that thing that feels like it has power in your life, that will change you. The power, grace, and mercy of Jesus will change you. And it will change our world from a donut to a meaningful, life-giving place to live. And you all are the agents. You are God's agents for that to happen. Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you pray with me? God of goodness and love, we thank you for Jesus Christ and for the faith that we have that drags us back to the center, God. For those of us this morning who need to be brought back to the center, we stand before you this morning asking you to do that for us. If there's someone in this room who's never made that step of faith, God, I pray this will be the morning that they do that. For those of us who've spent a lot of time at the periphery and need to come back to you, God, I pray this is the morning we will do that. And most of all, God, I pray that as these folks connect to you, thankful and praising you for the next seven days in the morning and at night, God, I pray that you will show them the power and glory that you have for them and that you'll use them to shine your light and ignite your change in a world desperate for it. Amen.